Hey everyone, this is Pete Perusik, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway to set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society. After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around and hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective of how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and share with your friends. Today I'm honored to be joined by physical therapist Mike Studer for mile number nine. Mike is an expert in the field of neuroplasticity and his energy and passion has placed him in high demand on the lecture circuit. He is doing some amazing work in challenging many of the previous myths about Parkinson's stroke and traumatic brain injury and what treatment should look like. He provides great insight how the human nervous system works and how by providing various stimulus levels, the body will adapt, learn, and grow. He has taken what he has learned and has incorporated those philosophies into every aspect of his life. He provides a great example of what tools can be applied for successful aging. His constant drive and enthusiasm for life helps provide a model for those around him. I hope you enjoy. So yeah, I thank you for just taking some time out of your busy day. Mike, I'm not going to even take a chance of trying to sum up all your accomplishments, so I'm going to leave that to you. Oh my gosh. Do I have to speak about that? Yeah. Okay. So I've been a PT for about 30 years. I've been blessed to be surrounded by great mentors and great colleagues and a lot of volunteerism in the APTA. Uh, I've been fortunate to serve as the vice president of the, at that time, neurology section, Uh, board certified neurologic clinical specialist, uh, CEAA, uh, a couple other designations, and most recently um, designated to be a Catherine Worthingham fellow of the APTA, which I'm just humbled and honored to uh, have received and to join that group. That's incredible. Congrats on that. Thank you. So as far as your practice, let's just jump there to start with. Um, I know you built a new building, what, about a year ago. How big is the practice? Yeah, so we have uh, five clinical sites, uh, three separate buildings, um, about 21 PTs, 45 employees. The most recent building that you refer to is called the Rebuilding. Um, rehabilitation, realignment, um, refresh, um, relax, everything, you know, chiropractic, massage, physical therapy, et cetera. Um, ideally at some point, nutrition, sports vision. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're, we're hitting it on basically every realm. So we've got a healthy aging neurology program. We've got an orthopedics program, sport performance injury prevention program. Um, later next year, we'll start a women's health uh, program. And we also serve in the prisons as well as a CCRC long-term retirement. Well, awesome. Now, I think in the past you had said something. You do. Uh, you have somebody that comes into PRP injections. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's yeah. the regenerate. I didn't want to yeah. take too long with that yeah. answer, but yeah, we have a, a physician that comes in and does PRP, and he also does sports sports psychology as well. Uh, so we got a rethink program that's in there as well. Okay, so I don't know much about PRP. I- yeah, so really, basically, you take the patient's own plasma, uh, spin it in a 
uh, centrifugal uh, machine, uh, pull out the plasma-rich protein, re-inject it into a problematic area onto a patient's uh, most commonly going to be tendon, can be muscular origin uh, that has just been chronically uh, subject to breakdown. Okay. Uh, and uh, it actually does do quite a bit. Um, many patients uh, that have come back to us and said, gosh, that was really the trick. Now I'm ready to strengthen. Uh, and I feel like my tissue is uh, no longer painful. It's healthy and I'm ready to go. And uh, he's a very ethical practitioner. So we've been really blessed to host that. Okay. Now, do they need physician uh, prescription, I guess, to do that? How's that work? Well, uh, so he is a physician. Oh, okay. And uh, so he actually uh, orders it, um, manages it, stores it, et cetera, himself, uh, obtains the authorization, and et cetera. So he's his own practitioner. But uh, yeah, so he's an orthopedist. Okay. That's cool. Um, so how has COVID-19 changed your uh, the way you, I guess, as a practice owner? And I know you also lecture a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh, two uh, big separate questions. <laughs> but uh, so we went down as low as 15 percent uh, of our volume of caseload uh, at one point, mainly due to precautions. We didn't really have a ton of cases here in the area. Uh, we uh, hit a lot of telehealth at that time. So um, we were really fortunate to be subsidized by telehealth. Um, we've done a great job of bouncing back. We're really close to 80% at this point across all of our facilities, which we're encouraged by. Most of that, Pete, is just due to uh, physical distancing mm -hmm. uh, within the clinic uh, to be able to really respect and maintain uh, the volumes of patients that we used to have compared to what we can have. Um, as far as lectures, um, I had a six-country lecture planned for March uh, in Europe. And I was going to be heading off with a keynote speech in Iceland, Denmark, um, Norway, Sweden, Germany, and uh, several locations. And many of those, um, that was all canceled. Fortunately, I was able to do three of those uh, back again uh, in a Zoom meeting platform. Uh, I've had, uh, I'd say, eight other lectures at this point that have been canceled and all have been replaced by Zoom. And then everything I've got the remaining of the year is actually all going to be Zoom lecturing for uh, state of Washington, uh, PT Association, and many others. So large yeah. uh, and even upwards of eight-hour lectures on Zoom. So uh, And gosh, some things that happened that I didn't even realize were going to happen uh, that I've actually recorded a uh, seven-series lecture of 11 hours of material for Italy because okay. they just contacted me and said, hey, can you package this, put it together on Zoom? We're going to be selling it. Uh, so there have been some avenues of benefit then as well. That's good. So what's in that uh, that series for Italy? Yeah, so I'm doing um, a three-hour course on stroke, uh, dizziness, Parkinson's disease, Parkinson's disease versus Parkinsonism, science of balance, um, all of those types of things then too. Okay, cool. Now, do you have stuff going on as far as successful aging or um, uh, the senior athlete, or is it mostly neuroplasticity? Yeah, yeah. gosh, I've got that going as yeah. well. So um, in less than a month, uh, you and I will be joined up together. Um, we'll be doing a physicaltherapy.com or continuing ed is what they also call themselves. Uh, so webinar series that is a week-long series. I have the fortune of editing uh, and also being the kickoff for that. So I'm doing one on um, endurance in the geriatric, and then um, 
Uh, we're also joined up again in the virtual combined sections meeting in February, uh, where we'll do uh, basically uh, nearly a two-day platform uh, on geriatric concepts. And so I've got those wheels spinning as well. I'm, I'm excited for those. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know you do, you pretty much see all ages. You're going from high school all the way up to um, senior athletes. Um, yeah. What are you working on right now with them? How's, how's that been? Uh, so as far as the high school athletes, uh, over at the rebuilding, we're seeing a pretty big return. Uh, a lot of those athletes who are not in sport right now are really trying to invest in themselves and get themselves ready for their spring season that they're hopeful is going to come on. Uh, and they are just gearing up for speed work um, mm -hmm. and technique and power and injury prevention and getting themselves smarter, um, which is really kind of a nice thing right now because they're building up their resources and their base rather than uh, practice, practice, practice. And yeah. we all know that, you know, that devotion towards single sport can cause burnout and injury. Uh, so it's nice because they're, they're getting themselves multi-sport prepared at this point. Uh, as far as senior athletes, uh, a lot of the same types of things. I'm working with individuals. Um, one of my patients actually just finished the virtual Boston run okay. um, on September 5th, last Saturday. Uh, so he finished the virtual Boston and I got a chance to work with him on Labor Day. I brought him in on Monday the 7th and we dealt with a little bit of an Achilles in, uh, uh, issue for him. And he bounced right back out of that. I've got him into the underwater treadmill. We got some recovery going there. So, yeah, we've got it going on on all levels. And, you know, people are finding ways to still get after it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So what's your involvement with uh, the senior games? Senior games, I don't have any involvement okay. at this point. Um, obviously, we were canceled here in Oregon uh, for this year. I've had the good fortune of being involved in the Oregon Senior Games a number of years, mostly the pickleball venue uh, I find myself at, um, and doing the, uh, uh, you know, the safe assessment then as well. Uh, and I've run that hundreds of times with those individuals. And I'm hopeful to resume that again when it's appropriate to host those games again. I don't have any plans for... Um, the uh, national efforts in 2021 uh, down in Florida. And I don't know, I haven't heard yet if those are going to be held or not. Okay. Yeah. That's hopefully, and it's a year from now. So hopefully things yeah. will be uh, improved at that point. So what yeah. were your first uh, thoughts or your initial thoughts working with that population at the games? Yeah. Gosh, just blown away. Amazed yeah. by their capacities. You know, can you think about pickleball? You have reaction speed, you've got agility of the feet. You've got balance um, and you've got some need for power. Yeah. I mean, not every sport requires power. That one does. And uh, and, you know, then the mental faculties of that, too. You know, there's been so much research that talks about uh, ping pong and what it does for, uh, you know, really the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex attention centers of the brain. And gosh, those athletes just have it going on. I, I, it's uh, it's been a joy to work with them. And uh, obviously, as you well know, they come yeah. in from multiple different states. And there's some high end people in there that just uh, they take pride in what they do, and they're looking forward to being competitive, but also collegial. It's so it's so nice. Yeah, that's why uh, I think the games are awesome. I've been involved locally mainly here with the run uh, run events. But I love all everything that they do. It's just incredible. And it was great to talk to Becca Georgery about her kind of the creation of the safe, um, which is a senior athlete fitness exam. And, and it's, yeah. you know, and leading and seeing some of her misconceptions to start off with and how it started. So it was great to kind of watch that transformation to where she is right now with the exam. Right. Yeah, we had the good fortune of 
uh, sampling that for her in her early years. And so I collaborated a little bit. I don't want to take any credit because yeah. it's been, uh, you know, her her uh, exam. And uh, I had the good fortune of just giving her some clinical data and some feedback and um, the way it's evolved and where she is right now. I just I take, um, you know, really umbrage uh, in uh and, and great respect for what she's done there. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, I love it. Um, so my question for you is, can you uh, how'd you do on the single leg stance with eyes closed? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Yep. <laughs> so I can do that with my right leg. You don't want me to do it necessarily. <laughs> I could try to do it right here while I'm with you. I'm on my right leg. If I switch over to my left leg, I've been working on this a little bit, Pete, and I'm at it right now. Yeah. I just to admit to you, I just touched down twice with my yeah. right foot already. I'm a little challenged on my left leg on that one. It's amazing. You know, um, so it's funny. So as I've been doing these interviews, I happen to talk to a 74-year-old who says that he basically works on his balance every day. Now, when he brushes his teeth, his eyes are open, but he's standing yeah. on one leg every time he brushes his teeth and he alternates. And that's such a great thing you think about that it's a dual task you're standing on one yeah, leg yeah. and you're brushing your teeth and i think what a if everybody could incorporate that hopefully they don't fall but you got to practice and work your way up to it but it's such a right. great tool i think for everybody it is and there's so many different opportunities that we miss throughout the day yeah. so you could be zipping up a coat you could be buttoning a shirt you could be putting on a watch putting in an earring i don't have any holes yeah. right now so i'm <laughs> not going to actually get that done but all all of those opportunities you know, even if you can't stand on one leg, you know, shove it up into, uh, you know, what we call a stage three or a tandem stance, anything yeah. like that. You know, put yourself right at the edge of your safe capabilities, mix it in with something else, work the mind and work the body, go get it. Yeah. So uh, question, you know, we're going to talk about injury prevention here a little bit. How has your work on neuroplasticity affected um, kind of where you are now compared to maybe where you were before? Wow. Uh, great question. I love it. I just experienced it and lived it this morning. Yeah. Uh, I am a huge proponent of being able to give myself a dosage of brain-derived neurotrophic factor on an absolutely every single day basis. I feel like I'm such a dopamine addict uh, that I have to be able to get that high-intensity work in. And we know that reward cycle of the dopamine cycle in the, um, you know, in the striatum is hugely important. Neuroplasticity depends on a body seeing itself as being capable, possible, achievable. And so, um, you know, actually doing something that seems productive for you is exceptional. That ties into the neuroplasticity, ties into the exercise. Um, and really, we also know that whether you're doing sustained longer endurance exercise impacting the neuroplastic capacities in the hippocampus, or you're doing like what we were talking about earlier, ping pong, high reactive mm -hmm. in the attention centers, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, um, or you're actually working on uh, something that requires that higher intensity interval training uh, and working uh, in kind of the motor cortex. We know that varied expressions and exposures of exercise can give us different cognitive and neuroplastic benefits throughout all the complementary regions of the brain. I could go on about that. Yeah. I should probably halt it there. <laughs> so yeah. that, how has that influenced what you're doing on a weekly basis? What is your training like? Would yeah, so I make certain. I mean, I, I run every single day, Pete, and uh, haven't missed mm -hmm. a day yet this year. Even when we've got some smoke here in Oregon, I run indoors right now. Okay. But I absolutely make certain that I'm touching on all of those aspects every single day. Um, week and at least twice a week for everything. 
So my high intensity weightlifting is uh, one attribute of something that to answer your question, mm -hmm. I will hit high intensity weightlifting at least three times per week. I'm a body weight lifter. Okay. Um, I, I love my Nordic curls, hooking my feet underneath the bed. I love my pull-ups. I love my chin-ups. Um, but primarily, I'm a body weight lifter. And I also, I start the morning um, with 55 seconds of 71 push-ups with my feet up on a 30-inch bench. Okay. Um, so I always hit those. And so I'm hitting that. Um, I run and I have my varied, um, you know, well-balanced run of, of the week, just like we all had a well-balanced breakfast when we were <laughs> kids back in the 1960s and 70s. I will hit my, I'm going to hit my trash miles. I actually do uh, like some garbage miles okay. um, on occasional days. Um, and then I hit my high intensity uh, efforts. I actually run on a regular basis three to four times a week with a 38 year old, okay. much younger than me. Uh -huh. And uh, I just adopt his training plan and try to keep up with him on hill repeats. Okay. Um, and we do sprint intervals. We'll do tempo runs, and then we'll do long, slow runs as well. So I try to make sure I get a complement of everything. Okay. What's your typical mileage in a week? Usually 58 to 71. Okay. And how do you fit that in with everything that you're doing? <laughs> um, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, at a minimum, I get up at 2.50 in the morning. Um, I'm able to get out of the house by 3.10, and then I run relatively slowly down to our clinic where I'll meet uh, my running partner, and then he and I'll go for a 8, 10, 11 miler. Um, the other five days per week, two of those being weekends, I'm going to get those done. Usually we'll start about 4.30 or so in the morning uh, together, and we'll get our uh, longer runs in. And then we've got three more days per week that I'll either be running with him or without him. Uh, one or two of those days I'll be on the treadmill, but again, it's going to be really early morning. Okay. I'm not a nighttime evening runner. I'm usually on my feet about 10 to 11 hours per day standing straight without a break in the clinic and so i don't find that i'm quite as productive to run in the evenings yeah. and i end up walking about three to four miles in the evenings while i'm documenting um and i have a walking treadmill desk oh okay so that's what you're using at work yeah. the walking treadmill yeah that doesn't count to my weekly mileage yeah. but yeah i actually do walk an additional at least for more miles per day every day. Okay. Now, I think in the past you said something that you've used some weighted vests or some weights. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I get up on those uh, morning runs and I'm running in to join in with my uh, colleague, my running partner, I'll usually use either a three-pound or a five-pound set of hand weights, and then I'll also wear a backpack. Okay. Backpack's going to range in the neighborhood of about nine, sometimes as much as 12 pounds, um, and I don't mind running slowly when I'm doing that. When I'm on my way in with those, I'll basically do your, your military press uh, with the hand weights, and then I'll alternate that um, with actually holding the weights out to the side for 20 strides, and then I'll just carry the weights in normal running fashion in between them too. Okay, so how long have you been doing that? Uh, probably about a year and a half on that one. Okay. Um, and uh, if I'm feeling really good, I'll go ahead and grab the five-pound weights. It's a bit of a slog to be yeah. able to carry that much weight for a guy that's 150 <laughs> adding an extra 10 with the weights and actually another, you know, plus or minus 10 with the backpack. It's a decent amount. I mean, it's obviously it's one eighth of my body weight that I'm yeah. bringing in there uh, with that. So uh, that works for me. Okay. Uh, 
and uh, that's only three and a half miles. Otherwise, I'll grab the three pounders. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I have um, a ten pound weighted vest that I've actually with when COVID hit. And one way to kind of get myself uh, more active is I stopped using my riding lawnmower, went out and bought a push mower. So you know I can throw the vest on, and for me to mow my lawn, it's a, exactly a five k. So, is that right? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. exactly a 5K, and I actually have more elevation mowing my lawn than I do running my normal 5K route in my neighborhood. Um, That's great. So, and, and I've started to just incorporate a weighted vest, but the problem is, you know, so again, with what you're doing, and even for me, 10 pounds, um, you got to progress slowly. It's not something you just put on and go out and run 10 miles. So what recommendations do you have as far as for someone hearing this, okay, yeah, Mike's using a weighted vest, Pete's using it. How, what do you recommend to them as far as not going out there and injuring themselves? Because the last thing you want to do is tack on 10, 15 pounds to somebody, and then they're yeah. now going to have injury. Yeah, so the easiest way to do it, if you're going to use hand weights, um, have some place that you can circle back in a loop mm-hmm. so you can run without them and then run with them again. Obviously storing them either in your own backyard or someplace secure. Um, I actually did that on a recent long run outdoors before the smoke hit here too. Dropped them off by a stop sign out yeah. in a very rural run that I was out uh, at, and uh, and so that works uh, extremely well. If it's going to be a weighted vest, you have the same opportunity. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge podcaster, uh, uh, Pete. I've listened to every single one of yours, and I subscribe to a little bit over 30 podcasts. Yeah. I want to let you know that I recently listened to a podcast by Tim Ferriss. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you uh, listen to his or maybe some of your listeners do. They were actually talking about a weighted vest. Okay. And uh, Tim has recently, and I'm yet to research this because I just listened to it two days ago, uh, found a weighted vest that works well for him in terms of where it balances his weight. Uh, the person he was interviewing says he likes to do a waistline based one rather than a chest. Yeah. Uh, but Tim actually uses one that actually uh, allows the weights to get, if I understood correctly, uh, help him stay a little bit more upright. So there may be some different models out there that your listeners yeah. could enter, uh, uh, could investigate. I'm yet to do that, but I, I will be as well. So you don't feel like you're also hunching over um, and causing yourself, uh, you know, any orthopedic injuries there as well. Yeah, that was the thing. It was hard to like, even when I cinched it up, it was bouncing around a little bit. And you know, the last thing you want to do is try to hold it in place. And so it was good to start with. I can definitely see myself hiking and walking with it, and maybe doing some hills. Um, so yeah, I'm still going to play around with that a little bit. Um, but the main thing is I just don't want anybody going and throwing a weighted vest on and going on and trying to run too long because then they're going to come in and say, why are my shins hurting me? Or why are my feet hurting me? As they, again, mechanics are bad. That's not a good thing. You know, you bring up a great (laughs) question though. Um, so when I use my backpack, um, most of the weight sinks down in the backpack and I take a belt that's, um, too large for my waistline mm-hmm. and I actually put that belt around me above where the mass of the weight normally sits in the backpack and so then I don't have the bouncing yeah uh, but I do have that cinched and it stays a little bit low I kind of like a high lumbar weight uh, yeah. for myself there so I can get up and stay up behind it but that's just my own fashioning it's nothing scientific okay that's good now how about uh, dynamic um, or static warm-up what are you doing yeah so um, it's every single morning after I hit those push-ups, um, I'll get up into a modified plantigrade and stretch uh, back to hit um, the hamstrings, put the pelvis back behind my heels, um, then get forward and do that on top of my ankles. And then I'll hit uh, basically um, kind of like a hurdler stretch type mm-hmm. of thing, um, but standing. I, I do that dynamically. Yeah. Uh, and then um, 
my running partner and I, as soon as we join up, we'll do hip swings as well, multi-directional with both legs. And so I'm a little bit more of a dynamic yeah. uh, warm-up individual than I am static. Um, in rehabilitation, I appreciate the need for static for some of my neurologically impaired patients. Um, but for my own personal, in a healthy state, um, I do like the dynamic both for a warm-up as well as for injury. Has that changed over the years? Absolutely. And yeah. I think all of us need to evolve. I think yeah. everybody was all about the, you know, low load, long duration stretch, uh, you know, and having that in our lexicon, um, but absolutely more dynamic. And, you know, I love to contribute to the evidence, but I also like to evolve with the evidence. Okay. Yeah. How old are you, Mike? 51. Okay. Now you said you've done Boston. Yeah. So I did Boston in 2010. It was my second marathon. Um, I had only said I was going to do one marathon until they said, hey, you qualified for Boston. <laughs> so you got to do Boston. So I did that. And it was such a great experience, Pete, that I said I would never do it again because I don't yeah. even want to try to have anything to compare. Yeah. Until last year, um, I qualified for it again. And with the I did another <laughs> marathon with the intent of qualifying and running it when I was 50. That didn't happen for obvious reasons yeah. uh, because of COVID. Um, and then it looks like it might not happen again in 21. Yeah. Hard to say. If I get the opportunity, I'll go back out there again. I'm feeling really good. Yeah. And with the technology of shoes that have come on, uh, I'm not going to rule out that I might get another sub three. Okay. So we'll see. Well, yeah. So what was your time? Uh, in Boston, 257. Wow. Uh, I've run a 256 before, um, but I've stayed right there. I mean, almost every marathon that I've tried to competitively shoot for, um, I've, either, I've either been uh, 303, uh, or down into that 256. So I'm right in that range right there. Um, I've just been blessed to be able to keep that up. Um, and I'd like to put myself, my toe to the line again and see if I can get that going. That's awesome. Now, have you done triathlons in the past too? Yeah. So I've done, I think either 15 or 18 half Ironman, okay. uh, right there. I've never done the full Ironman started off, uh, with the sprints, moved quickly up to Olympic, and then moved slowly up to half Ironman and then just got addicted to half Ironman where I yeah. said I was a little bit of a snob at that <laughs> point saying, oh, my gosh, I'll never do a sprint again. But, you know, gosh, I just I love the the all outness uh, of that, too. Yeah. Uh, so I actually love all of them. But my favorite is still the half Ironman. OK. Yeah. I can see you with the shorter, faster. Uh, <laughs> I know you can do anything, but I'm sure you, yeah, you're all out. <laughs> the problem is in the. People leave me so far behind in the swim that I need yeah. a longer race to be able to keep, catch them again on the bike and on the run. That's why I love the half Ironman because I, I'm probably left two thirds back in the pack after the swim. Yeah. And I catch, I like to say, I catch about a third of them on the bike and then I catch another two thirds of them on the run. Yeah. So I've had the good fortune to actually finish pretty high on a few of them. Yeah. Um, my best is the 445 half. Oh, um, incredible. And I finished. I think I finished second, yeah, second overall uh, in that one. That was up in Washington in whatever year. I don't remember. That's incredible. So have you ever considered going longer distance, let's say, for either a full or for, you know, an ultra, like running? Have you ever considered that or you yeah. just don't have time? I will. I'll, I'll eventually do that. Yeah. Um, and um, I've had a few plans that have been stymied to be able to actually go for a full Ironman yeah. Arizona was yeah. what was actually on my radar because uh, I'm not the most powerful cyclist in the history of the world. And so a nice flat course has been really uh, attracted to me. And I know that at some point I wouldn't mind doing a 50K as well. Okay. 
That's cool. Um, so as far as uh, recovery, um, what do you kind of incorporate? I know you haven't, you've done Boston the last time you did it. What's recovery like for you for those events? So I got to stay active. Yeah. Um, if I sit down for too long in history, uh, try to keep myself walking briskly as best I can. Um, I resist the temptation to run within the first two days okay. because no matter how how good or how well I feel day one in recovery, um, day two is usually much worse for me if I've tried to run at all. Um, I'll seek out cold water as fast as I possibly can. I'm a cold uh, every single fast run that I take. I actually uh, hit a cold shower on my legs for um, you know, at least 30 to 45 seconds, really good research that came out of Stanford years ago that said even just submerging your hands in very cold water um, is actually great for the anti-inflammatory properties uh, that's ravaging up with the muscles that have been uh, inflamed. Uh, so that works, but I hit the legs instead. Um, I will hit some dynamic stretching with that as well. If okay. I can find my way onto a stationary bike for some low resistance, high speed, I love that additionally. Um, and I've really found that um, going ahead and applying myself in a nice quadricep stretch uh, helps additionally to drop the tension so that I can get to sleep at night and my legs are just not talking to me, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really try to hit the full palate there. Obviously, nutrition is helpful too, keeping yeah. yourself hydrated and replacing the protein uh, that you've broken down. Okay. Yeah, the chiropractor friend that I have, he's got a cryo tank. So I've done that a few times, gone in there, you know, three minutes and you kind of do your little turnaround in there and you yeah. freeze. And, and I don't know, I, yeah. it's so hard because I haven't done it that much. So I, I can't speak to whether it really made a difference or not. I think up and mentally it made me feel better. Um, but you, sure. I just don't know what the research is as far as, you know, how beneficial that is. Yeah, well, I'll add to your N of one yeah. there and make it an N of two. I did a cryo chamber on a marathon in 2018, May of 2018. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I did the cryo chamber the day before yeah. uh, to be able to really just, you know, uh, allow those legs to cool down and feel like I'm fully tapered. Yeah. And then I did it. I got almost right in afterwards uh, then, too. And I did feel really good after that. Um, there may be some psychosomatization uh, with that, obviously, uh, but it, it did help me. Yeah. Okay. How about like compression boots or anything like that? Have you ever used anything like those? Never been a fan of those. Okay. Um, I know it was a huge rage, and I feel like the bandwagon dropped just a little bit. But um, I have always felt that um, I like to have very limited restrictive clothing uh, on myself. I'm a person who basically here in Oregon – 12 months of the year does not want to wear any pants whatsoever. Um, and I hopefully don't we're like in shorts, compression. Mike. Yeah. Yes, I am wearing shorts. Uh, yeah, I should insert that. Uh, so my legs get warm very easily. Okay. And so I, for that main reason, I haven't done compression. And then also the concerns about, you know, vascular return yeah. uh, on that too. And uh, well, actually, I should say flow toward. Um, are you going to cause yourself just a little bit of a compartment syndrome? Um, in, uh, you know, limiting some of the arterial flow. No doubt you're actually um, subsidizing the venous return. So um, I'm not completely sold enough to have ever done it. Yeah, it's interesting because I have a pair and, and I use them occasionally. I don't use them as often. And actually, I've actually, there's times that I've used them and I feel like I get a histamine reaction. I mean, I am like, 
bouncing out of them where I can't tolerate 15 minutes. And it, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's it's weird. Um, and it, it really feels like a histamine reaction where yeah. I'm just all anxious. So then I, I don't use them that often. It's one of those things yeah. that they're there. I think it's a tool, but it's not something that I think you need to do every day. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, you talk about you're getting up at what, 2.50 in the morning. Do you sleep ever? Yeah. So four and a half hours is just really great for me. And I know the research just says no, 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 <laughs> yeah. and you can't pay it back. And But I also know the research on almost everything is that there are outliers. Yeah. Um, I'm blessed with, you know, feeling great after four and a half hours of sleep. Um, and I actually do much better with that than if I were to give myself six and a half hours. It's just a little bit too groggy for me. I mean, oh, okay. I'm I'm ready to get up after four and a half hours, and I'm feeling blessed. Okay. So um, what's your diet like? Um, okay. So I do fast typically in okay. the neighborhood of 14 to 17 hours per day, um, and uh, that's with good intention. Obviously, I'm taking hydration at that point. Yeah. Um, plus or minus, I might actually take um, a couple of peanuts or so, something like that, um, after an exercise. Um, I'm kind of a metabolism freak on that. <laughs> Um, and I do think that I stimulate my metabolism a little bit by giving uh, the body actually the sense that there's going to be some protein going on. Um, so I'm looking for some research on that. I've found a few things recently. But overall, I'm a huge leafy green eater. Okay. Um, I have had the tendency toward uh, uh, low uh, iron in the past. And um, I've taken the pill supplementation in the past. And I just grow a ton of um, Swiss chard and kale and spinach in my own garden, which grows 12 months of the year here in Oregon. Um, and I chop that up and whatever we're going to have for, uh, entree, I'm not very picky, but I, I don't eat a lot of cheeses or fats. Uh -huh. Um, whatever we're going to have for dinner, I will chop up several cups of that, throw in the microwave for a couple of minutes to start its degradation. Yeah. Um, but to leave it viable, serve it, uh, serve dinner on top of that. And I will eat very healthily uh, with that. And my uh, iron is now through the roof. I okay. mean, it's great with no added, uh, you know, vitamin supplementation, pill-based supplementation on that. And uh, so uh, I do eat a decent amount of peanuts. Um, I've got my penchants with my dark chocolate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, oatmeals and brands and granolas besides that dinner description. And that's basically where you're going to find me. Okay, so you don't do a lot of supplements. I do zero. I take yeah. no medications of any sort whatsoever. Okay, that's good. Um, so as far as um, kind of what do you think is your biggest uh, reasons for success, let's say with any event or basically everything you do? Yeah, I have a huge work ethic. I take yeah. pride in my work ethic. I want to get everything right. Um, and I have some perfectionist tendencies <laughs> Um, they go with that, but I don't let that beat me up as much as maybe I would have um, in the past. Um, you know, love to be the 4.0 student. But I'll tell you, at this point, I really know where to drop my value mm -hmm. and where to actually be peace, uh, be at peace. So work ethic comes from being raised um, on a farm in southwest Missouri um, and being raised by parents that are still working. My dad's uh, 75 mm -hmm. now, uh, and, uh, and he actually still you know, runs 300 head of cattle. Wow. Um, you know, we've got 440 acres worth of property there. Um, and uh, well, it's actually a total of 680 on the two properties. Wow. So he runs fence line, finds <laughs> cattle, does, you know, I mean, like, so it's, it really is, it's either genetically uh, yeah. or 
um, you know, uh, by nurture into me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just love working hard. Yeah. So work ethic, it describes my athleticism and describes my clinical profession. I'm not the world's most gifted athlete. I'm not a powerful human being, yeah. but I work very hard to be able to do what I can do. Okay. And then um, who are those individuals that kind of get you through? Yeah, so my wife, number one, absolutely. She's she's a rock. She keeps me humble, but also uh, keeps me moving. <laughs> uh, we have so much fun together. Um, I've got three kids that I love dearly, and uh, I like to be able to model for them. Uh, and that's probably one of the biggest reasons that I got into endurance athletics. Yeah. Um, you know, back when I was 25 years old, I didn't run more than one mile before I was 25 years old. I was just a baseball player okay. and then a softball player, and et cetera. But I like to model that uh, work ethic for my kids so they get me through also. Um, and those are the biggest things. But then, gosh, I love modeling for my patients too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's very important for me to be able to live what I preach. Um, yeah. And my patients just routinely ask me, you know, how how many miles did you run today, Mike? <laughs> and they just love to hear it. I mean, I'm not going to come out and tell them, but when they ask, yeah. uh, I like to be able to share that with them. So um, those big facets, my entire family is just uh, very important to me. I'm a, a very faithful person. Anybody that's faithful enough actually should say um, God first. Pete, I was... Uh, raised Catholic. I'm a practicing Lutheran right now. And I'll tell you that um, uh, I am very appreciative as a scientist to know the wonderful design of the human body. I'm appreciative of the fact that I can use that wonderful design and that I know um, I have a very strong faith in uh, our Lord and the creation of this human design um, that uh, I'm very respectful toward my body, respectful toward what um, I believe my creator uh, bestowed upon me. And I want to use my house as a temple. And I want to really think about those things when I think about what goes into it and what it produces, what comes out of it. Um, so I really drive on that faith. Um, when I look at my mantra, of do the right thing. I look at what I eat. I look at who I'm modeling for. And I look at um, what I have and feeling uh, blessed with what I've been given and not to misuse it. So those are important attributes for me. Okay, awesome. Where do you see yourself in 20 years? Uh, I'm going to be senior games just killing it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to involve, you know, I'm actually already qualified, obviously, over yeah. 50. But gosh, I really want to be able to hit, um, you know, some of those mid-range events in terms of running. I have this complete misconception that I'm going to be able to be proficient in those things. Um, I'm a pretty ravaged pickleball player, though, myself, and my son and I go at it. All three of my kids and I go at it. Um, at this point, I'm still pretty unbeatable on the pickleball court. So one of those two things, I hope to still be practicing physical therapy, um, lecturing, etc. And yeah. uh, I just have such a huge passion for everything I've got my fingers in right now uh, that I hope to continue all of it. That's good. Yeah, the problem is I'm in your same age group, so I'm going to have to figure out what sports you're in, and I am not doing your sports, Mike. I can tell you right now, I am picking everything you're not in. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I'd like to toe the line on that, uh, on the 1600 or on the 1500 and see how that goes. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, 70-something years old, I think I could do that. You know, I just, uh, it was the day before yesterday, I saw the guy hit a uh, 
what was it, a 450-something? 71-year-old guy yeah. hit a 450-something mile and set the new record on that. That's, that's wow. He's, he's not going to be 71 anymore when I'm 71. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Huge, yeah. Yeah, it's something a friend of mine uh, just tagged me on uh, Facebook yesterday of the 103-year-old um mm. at the senior games that was running and they have a kind of youtube video on her i can't remember her name right now just incredible <laughs> yeah 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 um i should be able to come up with it i think it's julia hawkins okay yeah, yeah 103 yeah. and uh, yeah 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 uh and she actually picked up cycling when she was at age 80 uh, and then she became a runner at like 99 yeah it's just yeah. something 99 i think i'm gonna go run yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> That's no, good. It's it's like the nun triathlete too. It's oh. up into her eighties. That's great. Yeah, you know I love seeing these stories. I think it, it they're so inspiring for everybody, and it just shows that really you can do it. Maybe not that that extent, but you know you yeah. can. You just got to try. Yeah, we have to debunk <laughs> so many myths, Pete, about yeah. uh, aging. You know, I've been doing a lot of research on this uh, recently because I had to ask myself the question: How much? of the losses that we attribute to aging are actually a function of the physiology of aging and how much of those losses are actually a function of the disuse yeah. that we find ourselves in because of the self-fulfilling prophecy of aging. Yeah. And the research that you can find in it right now says it's right about 50-50 yeah. uh, so that you can actually mitigate as much as half of the losses that most people, your peers, would experience just by using it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, what is it, the research out there say, what, you're about 10% per decade um, normally. But again, you're right. I'm with you. I think it's a lot more than that because people are just not doing things. So that 10% yeah. turns to be 20 30% every decade, and you just see that huge bottom drop-off. And I'm sure that's why these senior athletes are testing 20 years younger because they don't, right. they just have the normal aging process that they're dealing with and not all this extra stuff that's thrown on top of it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And then there's there's so many other caveats that I think we're going to end up finding out. Another bit of research that I was just looking at is they look at critical speed versus distance okay. as a person ages. And we lose about 2.5% of our critical speed from age 35 through about... Um, and actually, this happens about every decade. Um, we lose that all the way through 80. But the distance is really weird. We lose it all the way through to about age 70. And then at age 70, from 70 to 80, you start to, if you're pushing it, you can actually start to improve a little bit on where you were. And then at 80, it starts to decline again. Okay. So it's just some early research that I'm looking at there. But really, the endurance athlete has some things to look forward to if they just continue to keep after it. Yeah, I think that's, a, you know, people say all the time, you know, am I going to improve as I age? And honestly, I think where you're, where you're starting from is a huge part of that. So if you're deconditioned, obviously you can make huge gains. And we see that as we're uh, training our patients right now is that some of the older ones actually make the biggest gains mm -hmm. um, in strength um, because they were just so weak and they weren't at what would consider to be, say, baseline, I guess. Right. And, and you know, Pete, you bring up an excellent point there. And there's so many different facets and attributes of fitness, right? Yeah. So then you have to say to yourself, well, okay, I'm not deconditioned. I'm not starting from this very weakened point. How much can I actually gain? 
So then you have to ask yourself, are you at peak with all of your training for each one of the facets of fitness? So maybe you feel like you're already maxing out for your endurance work, yeah. but are you already maxed out for what you can do for strength yeah. and for the agility and for the balance? So you, you always have room to improve yeah. even as you age because it's very unlikely that all seven fitness attributes or uh, parameters somebody's hitting 100% at. Yeah. What would you call those seven parameters? Could you define those? Um, so I really look at uh, strength mm -hmm. and power is different. Yeah. Um, I look at endurance. Um, I look at flexibility. Um, I look at recovery. Um, I look at psychology and I look at nutrition. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That, that's why this uh, course that we're doing, I'm so excited about it because I think it just, it's fantastic. I mean, just. Yeah, it should be good. We got some great colleagues joining us, uh, Becca Jordre and Chris Johnson and Joel Satgast on it too. So that's going to be great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so as far as getting you to where you're winning all those events in your seventies at the senior games, what yeah. things uh, do you plan on just continuing doing what you're doing now, or do you think see yourself changing any of those uh, kind of training methods? Yeah, so I'm going to keep up the training methods, try to see if I can always run with people that are faster than me mm -hmm. and younger than me. <laughs> it's a really great motivator to get me out the door, uh, too. Um, and uh, I really want to make certain that I'm keeping up my healthy strength uh, throughout the ways and not get crazy with trying to um, do weights that are beyond, uh, my body weight. So I don't end up tearing things up mm -hmm. too much. Uh, I'm really respectful of biomechanics, uh, but I'll probably get a little bit more into some power. Okay. Um, so I want to, I want to continue to not only keep the strength, but also at the power. So for example, when I was doing my, uh, pull-ups this morning, uh, I, intentionally as i get toward uh, my 20th consecutive pull-up i want to actually get you know 17 18 19 20 i want to just rail up there as fast as i can and i want to be slow on the eccentrics so okay. i need to make sure i'm hitting that when i'm hitting my 70 push-ups i don't have that much reserve right now to hit yeah. the last five really <laughs> fast uh, at this point but i'll get there i'll get there yeah so are you doing any like plyometric training you know Interesting. Yeah. So um, I I don't like landing hard. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I know that from a skeletal bone density standpoint, that's going to be beneficial for me. Um, I'm not here to endorse any yeah. products. So um, I'll tell you one machine that I really love that's in our clinic is called the React, and it's the Rapid Eccentric uh, Anaerobic Core Trainer. Um, it's lowercase re and then capitals act. Okay. Um, and it is actually a platform that comes up at you and you try to keep yourself down in squat position. Okay. So you're eccentrically loading all the time with every single revolution of that thing. And it comes up fast with power. And so that's my plyometrics without actually experiencing the trauma of the landing. And so I'll hit that on a regular basis. Not unusual for me to stay on that thing after I come in from a run okay. and hit a five-minute effort. I'll be doing it tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact, again. Okay. Um, so are you mostly doing road running or do you do trail running? Yeah. Yeah, I, I am uh, almost 99% okay. road running. Uh, I'm a little – and I think the reaction speed would be great for me to do that, the trail running. Yeah. Um, but I'm very averse to injury. Yeah. And so, you know, tripping on uh, or sliding on 
Uh, it can get wet for you know a number of months, uh, a year out here. We're actually hoping for some rains with the fires right yeah. now. Uh, but the trail running out here is beautiful. Uh, but I am, uh, especially as early in the morning as we're mindful that I do, um, it would be hard for me to combine my time of day for running yeah. with actually uh, trail running. So that's part of what keeps me away from it as well. Okay, yeah, the reason I ask, yeah, and I, I can show you some bruises on my hand from a trail run that I did with some friends. We have a, a place called Pilot Mountain. It's about 1,100 feet to get to the top. So we got up at 3.30 in the morning, went and ran up to the top so we could see the sunrise. Um, yeah. But you're running in the dark with headlamps, and it's rocky. And um, yeah. amazingly, the three times I fell, only once was in the dark. The other two were basically on a crushed gravel. And, you know, you just yeah. – it's amazing. You take your eye away for a split second, and you end yeah. up tumbling. So I said, I can teach people how to fall. I've perfected it at this point. <laughs> uh, you can tuck and roll. and um, But I've noticed for me personally, uh, I, I love trail running. Um, one, I have – to pay attention a little bit more you know you're bouncing yep. around in different spots it's forced me to pick my feet up a little bit so i sure. notice a, a difference but unfortunately the the risk is you're gonna fall <laughs> yeah 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 i agree with you 100 percent. i love the benefits and i i'm just a risk reward plus yeah. the darkness in there on that um and i've got such great running conditions here in oregon yeah. and the roads that we travel in town are so great um and we sometimes we'll run 12 miles and we'll see two cars so wow. it's good yeah, I, I wish we had that here because it's definitely not the case when you're running, especially on the road or cycling. There, there's even on some of the rural yeah. roads, we're still pretty heavily traveled. Yeah. Um, okay, so do you have any personal mantras or sayings that you use? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a real high intensity guy, um, and so I just I try to live by the intensity. And my biggest mantra uh, mantra is uh, do the right thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I've, I've told that to my kids for 26 years, and I've always lived that, and I think that's helped me so much being a private practice owner as well. You ever have any question, um, just do the right thing, yeah. whether it's you know treating your customer uh, the way they should be treated or worried about you know how you're going to do billing or not. You just do the right thing, and it works out. You think you're going to get ahead by you know maybe doing a few more units or whatever, uh, just avoid that yeah. and uh, do the right thing when it comes to respecting the road for other people and exercising um, and, you know, giving people their own opportunity for perspectives then too and, and not be judgmental. So I'm a do the right thing person. Okay, that's good. So then uh, let's go to like say an event when you're in Boston and, you know, I, I, I know you're a high intensity guy and you're, you're probably just focused on that finish line. Do you struggle at all towards the end of those I events? I've never mentally struggled at all okay. yet. That okay. certainly could come. I don't want to say that could never happen to me. Yeah. But I'm a person who mathematically always cuts races up. Yeah. Um, and so um, I look at that and I and I once I cross, you know, mile 10, I'm like, wow, I've, I've only got, you know, 16 to go. Yeah. And I'm just carving it up at that point. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, now I'm over halfway done. And I'm, you know, by the time I hit 14, now I've got two miles less to run than what I've already run. And I, yeah. I mathematically always just kind of fool with myself in that manner. Okay, that's great. Um, and then, you know, I, on the bottom of any email I send or kind of for me, I use the hashtag my miles are four as a way to kind of re reinforce why I'm doing those things. For you, why are you doing all the things you do? Yeah, um, I love taking care of people, Pete. Yeah. Um, and, and I love actually taking care of uh, my patients. And I run for all those people that have had the 
you know, abilities taken away from them. I work with a lot of persons with Parkinson's disease and uh, survivors of stroke, et cetera. Um, and uh, probably my biggest reason uh, is uh, is really running for them. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I like to be a model for my kids as well. But, um, you know, I run for those people that can't. Okay, that's great. Um, anything else you want to add, Mike? No, this has just been a fabulous experience. And I, I love your podcast. I've li- listened to every <laughs> single one of your, uh, uh, you know, the sprint workouts uh, and then yeah. all the way through. So. Uh, it's great. Just keep it up. And, uh, you know, I'm glad if, if nothing else good comes of COVID, uh, yeah. the types of things that you're contributing right here that probably wouldn't have come up as you've expressed, yeah. um, you know, we find opportunities. So I'm appreciative for you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks a lot, Mike. You have a great day. Take care, Pete. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to get some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury-free as possible. I had the good fortune of sharing the stage with Mike five years ago while presenting at the APTA Combined Sections Conference. Just being a part of anything he is involved in has forced me to elevate my game both clinically and professionally. Since we're in the same age group, I know I will have to continue to work if I were to tow the same line at any future National Senior Games. As he states, he is a high-energy guy, and he makes it a point to incorporate aerobic and high-intensity activity into his daily routine and training to stimulate his nervous system to release brain-derived neurotrophic factors. These factors have a primary function to support the growth, survival, and differentiation of both developing and maturing neurons. So what's that mean? So for the layman, research has showed that low levels of BDNF have been associated with depression, anxiety, poor memory, and brain degeneration. Plus, Mike is the EF Hutton of the physical therapy world, so if he says it's beneficial, I promise you it's well-researched and is worth doing. His mantra of do the right thing has guided his family life and as a business owner, and is a valuable lesson for everyone. For anyone interested in learning more about Mike's work, I encourage you to visit the show notes and view his TED Talk on seeing the potential in brain recovery. I promise you it is worth the 15 minutes of your time. Thank you for taking time in your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider to join our patron program. Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment or drop me a line if you feel what you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete Podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are four, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey, people are sick.